we begin this journey uh, about worship. And um, it's such a broad topic when you start talking about worship, and, and therefore sometimes it's tough to tackle uh, because uh, we come from so many different backgrounds. And for the most part, I think, I'm, I'm speculating here, I think for the most part, many of us have our understanding of what worship is based on our involvement in church on Sunday mornings. I grew up in a very formal church. We had candles and robes and acolytes and whatnot, and I'll tell you that I've worshiped just as profoundly in those environments as I have with electric guitars and, and uh, drums. It, we make that a thing. For God, it's not a thing. But my experience and my understanding of worship was based on growing up in that and, and environment, and that may be true. I'm guessing that may be true for many of you. So if I were to ask you, could you come up and talk about worship, you would say, well, here's what I know. Here's what I know from the Bible, but here's been my experience in, in the bigger uh, circle. And for that reason, I believe that it's important for us to dig a little deeper and not just learn it by osmosis that, well, I just come in, I was kind of thinking that worship means singing songs, but to really grow um, a bit deeper in our understanding. And so one of the tough things is that many people have learned what worship is and their understanding of worship just by showing up and just by doing it and kind of watching, okay, I guess we're singing and that's, that's what you do and that's what worship equals. I think another thing that is challenging in talking about worship and understanding what it is is that we are very visible, gravitational people. That means that we live in a physical world and the invisible is a challenge to us at times. It's uh, when we come in, uh, there are things that uh, like lights and sea green chairs and blue chairs and screens and, and guitars and sometimes the music is too soft or too loud and blah, blah, blah and all those things, those physical barriers and elements and it's almost as if you have to penetrate beyond those things in order to experience the invisible because worship is in some regards, dealing with the invisible. It's not like today we're going to talk about uh, dribbling a basketball, and I'm going to call my good friend Troy up, who's a basketball expert and coach, and, and he's going to say, well, no, Steve, you got to use your fingertips, not your elbow, and you can't do it up here. It needs to be down here. And so, and we could see it and feel it and all that because, see, worship is, in a sense, ethereal. It's invisible. And as human beings... We're sometimes challenged with the invisible. This week I was looking at a, a little news report and they had this clip on there about a prank about the invisible. I thought, that captures it completely of how challenged we are with the invisible. So, of course, I brought it to you. Check this out. Okay, so for this prank, what I did was I built this car seat costume. And uh, what I'm going to do with this costume is I'm going to put it on and I'm going to go through a drive-through. And uh, I'm going to show you how it looks in the inside of the car with this costume on. <laughs> so this is how the costume looks while I'm wearing it. And um, let's see how people react when a car with no driver rolls up to their drive-through window. Yo! <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
in here. I'm, I'm a ghost. Throw it in there. Oh yeah, I'm a ghost. Just a, thank you. <laughs> yes, we are challenged with the invisible. You see, the invisible is like, wow, man, really? I'm coming in. I'm t I got the car. I got the kids. I got this. I got this. And to penetrate into the invisible world is a challenge, is it not? I think worship also is a challenge because there literally are many ways to worship God. Years ago, I did a collection on worship called Euphoria, ways that not just by coming together and singing, but, you know, like Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The way that we live can be an act of worship. When Christ said, reach out to those who are in need, he said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me that as, as this act of honor, as this act of worship. So it can be so broad that it's all over the map. To avoid this broadness and this nebulous sense, I say that what we do over the next seven weeks is is specify one aspect of worship, knowing that it's not just going to, to be exhaustive. And so what we're going to do is talk about when we come together specifically as the body of Christ, as we do on Sunday mornings, and talk about that element of worship, knowing that there's a lot of other areas and avenues of worship and what it is and whatnot. It's important for us to understand why we come together. It's important to understand that collective worship as a community, as a family, is one of the fundamental foundational blocks in our spiritual lives. It's not optional. It's not some people do it well, some people do it not well, some people are really into it, some people are not really into it. God would say, this is who I've called you to be, a community of worshipers. It's important. Some of you may be saying, gosh, I don't know anything about it. I don't know even what it means. And the encouragement from God's word is clearly this. Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. In other words, it is something, worship is something that can be learned. 
See, when we come into the world, when my kids were born, they didn't know how to acclaim me as their father. In other words, to look at me, to value me as their father. They didn't know that. And they still don't. They're still learning. Even last night, my youngest one whipped off some smart remark. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's, let's recalibrate. I'm dad. You're not. Okay, we've got it, all right? And so what I'm teaching him is how to acclaim me as a parent so that he'll learn to acclaim his teachers. He'll learn to put in proper perspective his future bosses, supervisors, fellow workers. It all starts right there. But he's got to learn that. And also we as followers of Christ, we didn't suddenly become Christians. Also, we, we understand what it means to worship. We're learning, and for that reason, it's important for us to say, let's look in God's Word. See, the why of worship to me is vital. It's not so much that I care to take the next seven weeks and go on this theological dissertation of what is worship. Worship is the radiance of our inner soul toward the God of heaven. It's got to be more simple than that. It's like talking to a husband about loving your wife. Keep it simple, stupid, right? It's not like I'm going to go into an 800-page book on what really love is. No, let me give you something for starters. Empty the dishwasher. Some lady in the first service said, amen, from the back. (laughs) As some people say, lovemaking begins in the kitchen. You understand what I mean. You wonder, never mind. (laughs) When is the last time you left a sticky note for your wife? When is the last time you just said, I'm going to take your hand and we're just going to talk? For some wives, that would shock them. Really? You're cutting the TV off? It can be simple, but it's the why that motivates us. It's not often the what. You see, the gospel according to Mark Twain. Mark Twain says it this way. It's not what I don't know about the Bible that bothers me. It is what I do know. You see... As Christians, we're learning all the time. We know enough about worship to say, okay, I know that it's just my attention towards God and I'm giving him my love. And when it's time to engage, I'm just saying, God, I love you and I want to honor you and worship you because I know that you're great. That and enough will carry you a long way. It's the why. I know the what of love but when I'm motivated and I understand, you'd, you'd be surprised with how many husbands like, oh, really? Moments that you say, you know, when you talk to your wife, you value her. When you w- empty the dishwasher, you teach her that she's just not some servant around the house, that marriage is a partnership. And husbands will go, oh, really? Yeah, really. It's the why we do certain things that motivates us. Because, see, as a new husband, when somebody began to talk to me about those things, I'm like, oh, really? That, that value, that makes her feel valued? Okay, cool. Then that's going to engage me and set a fire in me because now I know why I would do that. 
That's what we're going to do in this worship series. Because, quite frankly, there are some of us that need the motivation in worship. My son is now fourth grade, but when he graduated from preschool, they had a graduation. And, of course, like other parents, we were snapping shots. And, you know, there's our son, he's Harvard-bound. He just came out of, you know, uh, uh, preschool. He's got a little graduation hat. And there we're snapping the picture. And I, this week I was going through some old photos. I found it. I thought, you know, unfortunately, this sometimes looks like worship, my son's pre-K graduation. He's the one with the red arrow. Yeah, he's not singing Oh Holy Night, he's yawning. I'm like, well, there went the Harvard route, perhaps. And uh, I got to imagine, as a worship leader up here, um, Clay, you know, leading, worshiping, and, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, if I look at this picture and at times see the body of Christ... I'm like, let's learn about the why of worship so that we can get motivated to engage ourselves with the living God. Because to be honest with you, I've had plenty of those days. How about you? And there are times I need to have that motivation. So we're going to do something that I don't often do. It can come across as a little corny. But we're going to use this word worship as an acronym, meaning every week I'm going to take a letter from this word. And, uh, and again, it can be a little corny, but in studying this over the last couple of months, we understand these are not going to be exhaustive reasons, every reason, but there's a, just a natural flow that happened. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to take the word worship and take each letter and, and maybe we'll help you remember some of these things. The first one of course, is W. And the word today is worthy. You see, the old English word for worship is actually worthship. That's where we get the word. It means the activity that is worthy. You're giving worth to something. You see, we value a lot of things in life. When I bought my house, I got the deal of a lifetime because there was just empty plots all the way up the block. And the reason there were empty plots was because my property butts up against this other bigger property and it was zoned for commercial. In other words, they were going to put a Publix and things like that. Well, I lived in the inner city for a number of years. I'm thinking, great, you know, I could just walk to Publix, not bother me. You know, they put the big mercury lights that eh, all night long. I'm like, free security. It's perfect. My house will be lit. <laughs> not a big deal for me. So I bought the lot, got a sweet deal on it. Plus, my mother, who's an amazing negotiator, came in, and she helped with the deal, too. And so for the longest time, there's no there's for sale signs on all these empty lots, except my little house sitting there. Then the county bought the property behind and said, we're going to put in a beautiful park. That afternoon, the builders came and yanked up all the signs and put in new signs, and the lady beside me paid twice as much for the house that I did. It's the only financial decision I've ever made in my life that's good. And it was a mistake. <laughs> so I've told my wife, we're never moving from this property. I'm never, the value was based. See, if you have riverfront property on the Riviera, the value is different. 
If your diamond is bigger than the rhinestone that's in my wife... Oh, she's here. I meant the diamond that's in my wife's wedding ring. It's more value, you see. We have a sense in life easily of what to value. You see, here's the deal. The reason, the first reason we're going to look at that we worship God is that if you added everything in the world, diamonds, Riviera apartments, Porsches, you all together, add it all and multiply it times a trebillion jillion, whatever that is, God is higher value than all of that. His value, his worthiness, his deserving of our attention is at a premium universal high above everything else. So when we look in the word, we understand that God is worthy. But sometimes, sometimes, if you're like me, value of things begins to erode. Value of my spouse, value of my home, value of my kids and whatnot. Value begins to erode. Some of you know I substitute taught in the school system up till last spring. Did it for years. As we began 360, it was necessary for me to go in the community and find a job and all that. So I substitute taught primarily in high school. At the beginning of every class in high school, they have the announcements, the school announcements. I don't know why they have them, because nobody listens. Now, I'm not even saying that to be funny. It's true. No one listens. Some schools bring it up on the screen. They have student announcers, and they're sitting there, and they're like little news announcers back there. Nobody's listening. Nobody's watching. Part of that announcement period is the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Guess what? Nobody stands anymore. Every class, I'm standing by myself with my hand across my heart. It's a lost art. To this. Now, we're not worshiping a piece of cloth with three colors on it. It's the republic for which it stands, for what that symbol means, the blood that's been spilt in this country for our freedom, our democracy, and all those profoundly wonderful things. No one, somehow the value eroded. You get it? Except one morning. I'm sitting in this class, and I'm subbing for a class for kids whose language, their primary language, is not English. And they're, 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 they're kids of parents who are just coming in, transitioning into the country. You know where I'm going, don't you? Time for the announcements. Everybody's talking. Time for the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Everybody stood and put their hand over their heart. They valued it. Would to God that his church, oh, it's time to worship. Whoa, I'm engaged. I don't need an 800-page theology book to know that God is worth it. Don't need to know it. Oh, we got to get the church. It starts at 1043. I mean, sorry, 1030. Whoops. <laughs> Now see, if Chris Tomlin were here or Billy Graham were here, we'd say, oh, it's going to be crowded today. We better get there what? Early. But see, Christ 
is supernaturally in the midst of us when we gather, whether we see it or not. We got to get there so we can engage. I'm telling you, I love vacation. I hate vacation. I hate being away from the body of Christ. I do, from my body of Christ, from my local church. And I'm telling you, when I come in, second service, I'm already wrapped up. I've already had a service. But I'm telling you, when you step out of it and you step back into it, you say, man, something is happening here. I can't explain it. I'm not smart enough to explain it, but something invisible happens, and Christ nailed it. When two or three or two or three hundred are gathered in my name, I, the worthy Lamb of God, am supernaturally in your midst. Now, I'm everywhere all the time. I know that. But there's something of a greater dimension when we're engaged like a pledge, and sometimes that erodes. Sometimes we're just unaware of that move of God, right? You're saying, really? Wow, cool. I just thought we were singing songs. I didn't, I didn't get the part. We're just innocently unaware. Jacob of the Old Testament had this dream, and when he woke up, he said these words, surely, in Genesis 28, 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So guess what? His worth his value of God in that moment had diminished because he was unaware that the very God of this universe was right there with him. Sometimes, let's just be honest, I'm not in the mood. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to empty the dishwasher or to hold my hand, wife's hand or to talk. And sometimes I'm just not in the mood to worship God. So the key of this morning and the hope of this morning is this one statement. It doesn't matter. You see, if I've undervalued God, if, I've, if I'm unaware of God that He's here, or if I'm in the unmood to worship, if I'm not in the mood to worship, listen, His value never changes an inch. You see, his value is as solid as this floor, more solid than this floor. If I undervalue him, unaware of it, unmood it, I'm not ready for it, I'm not really into it, don't understand it, whatever it may be, that's going to be a solid. So it motivates me to grow up into it and worship him regardless heard about the, <clears throat> a painting that was bought in a yard sale uh, back in the spring. I brought it with me today. Here's a picture of this. Um, <clears throat> this uh, is a sketch of Rudy Valley. Now, some of you are like, Rudy Huey? Uh, Rudy Valley <clears throat> was a, a, old, a singer in the 1930s, kind of was his heyday with crooner and, and whatnot. This guy buys a painting at a yard sale for five bucks, April 2012, five bucks. It wasn't a painting of this. This was on the flip side. There was another painting that was in a frame. He gets home, and he's like, you know, kind of collects stuff like this. He starts to unframe it and take it out. And when he took it out and ripped off the back, this is staring at him. Oh, it looks like Rudy Valley. Then he began, because this guy knew art a little bit, the way things were kind of shaping is, man, this looks like an Andy Warhol. Come to find out, it is. When he was nine years old, he drew this picture. 
He didn't want to sell it, but one similar to this, because this is before his pre-art, pre-pop art period, so it's like really valued and all that. One like this sold, are you sitting down, for $34 million. I've been doing more yard sales recently. <laughs> um, I, uh, you never know what's in a garden hose. Hey, this could be, you know, whatever, I'll buy it. Look, when he bought it for five bucks, it was still worth $34 million. See? Our $5 worship doesn't devalue God one iota. So it, it motivates me to want to let me know you, God. Let me understand you because even if I don't feel like it, I'm not aware that you're here. I'm not getting any kind of woo, warm and fuzzy vibe. God, you're worthy, deserving, highly valued, and I'm still going to worship you. Today, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture that includes two worship services back to back. In the Old Testament, we have a fairly detailed record of the history of the nation of Israel when it began and all of its trials and tribulations, its successes and its failures. Quite often, the nation of Israel lived out chapters where they undervalued God. I'm sure you have a few of those chapters in your own book. I know I do. Today, we're going to hover in 1 Kings chapter 18. The preacher of the day, the worship leader of the day, his name is Elijah. Now, in this chapter of the nation of Israel, what had happened is that they had undervalued God, but they put their value into a false God who had never shown up before, never manifested himself because, quite frankly, he didn't exist except in their minds. His name was Baal, B-A-A-L, and they had valued this false, non-existent God so high that they had undervalued God. And so Elijah comes on the scene and he beckons, he calls, he summons the entire nation. Can you imagine summoning America altogether? Summoning, he summoned the entire nation and the hundreds of priests to Baal that were involved in that false, non-existent worship thing going. And so he calls them together and in 1 Kings 18.20, he begins to address them. Elijah went before the people. And he said, he asked this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, value him. If the Lord is God, follow him. He is deserving to be followed. But if, if Baal is God, then knock yourself out. Now, this God, by the way, is the God that split the Red Sea in front of your forefathers. They wrote about it. This God is the God that traveled and manifested himself in a column of fire, a pillar of fire, and a cloud of smoke. This is the same God that met with Moses, that met with Abraham, that met with Isaac. There's history with this God. Can someone surface any history with this God you call Baal? Any history? Any resume, any reputation, no. Any videos, no. So watch what he ends, what ends with this passage. First 
Kings 18.20. Elijah asked, how long will you waver? The Lord's God follow him. If Baal's God is follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, their silence that day spoke stronger than any word they could have said. Are you ready? My silence and worship, my indifference, my apathy, my bad mood, my uninvolvement speaks volumes. Wait till your wife, my wife is a wonderful cook, chef, really, just wonderful. Can you imagine she's worked three or four hours on some of these amazing gourmet dishes? And with anticipation, she comes and she, dinner's ready, and I sit down. She's worth more than that. She's worth more than that. You see, my silence says something, right? And in this moment, I'm, it's, the silence for me is riveting. And I'm like, oh, God, honestly, I'm in my office. And I, I, I am often studying, and I'm down on my knees. Oh, God, don't let your church be silent. In worship, indifferent, absent, disengaged, pick a word. You understand. We don't need an 800-page book to get it. So Elijah, he then he builds up an altar as they did in those days with wood. They would put an animal for sacrifice on it. So he said, let's start with Baal. Let's start with you guys first, all right? So we'll build up this altar, and in verse... 26, he, he begins the first worship service to Baal, who doesn't exist. Then they called on the name of Baal, watch, from morning till noon. I don't know if you're here, here for the first time, but we go till 3.30. I hope you're good with that. No, you'll be like, whoa, I've got to go to the bathroom, and I'm going to sneak out to the car. Right? From morning, who knows what that means, six, let's say, six o'clock until noon, all right? Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Nothing was clicking. And so that, then they kicked it up a notch and they, they began to dance around the altar they made. And then at noon, I love this guy, Elijah. I don't know if you, any of you are watching the NFL playoffs, but, you know, taunting is now a pen, penalty. I'm like, I don't, get, I don't like that. I, I think they ought to be able to taunt and spit and, you know, throw, throw a few things. I think it's kind of cool, right? But I, I don't know if you were watching. I think it was San Francisco, the, the, uh, the a quarterback. He made a run. Did you guys, anybody see that? And then, you know, after the play, you know, he's like, spins the ball on the ground and <laughs> says something. Oh, penalty flag. Well, in this moment, a penalty flag would have been thrown because the next verse says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this guy. And he's like, shout louder. You know, that's the taunting verse, voice. Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep in thought or busy or traveling. Can you get this guy? I'm like, he's really digging it in. I, I really like him. 
maybe he's sleeping. <laughs> maybe he needs to be awakened. Sorry, it's the best I got for Tom's. <laughs> so guess what? They shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears as were their custom until their blood flow. Midday passed. That's like mid-afternoon, dude. These guys have been going since early morning. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. You see, isn't it amazing how passionate we can get about the things we value? Don't touch my car! We can get pretty intense about that. I've seen guys, you know, my brother, man, the guy was, he kept his car spotless. And then he sold me his car and I trashed it. I trashed it on purpose just to taunt him. <laughs> Isn't it amazing when you look at this, the passion? Then my mind has got to go back to that moment of silence. When Elijah gave them a shot at the true God. Don't have anything to say here. Elijah loved these people or he wouldn't be there. He's not ticked. He's trying to teach them something. So watch. Second worship service begins. In verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, let me teach you something here. Come to me. Come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been devalued. You see, this is our first step. Like, dude, I'm not, I'm not into worship. I'm not feeling the vibe. I'm not, you know, I don't feel good. Here, here's the first step. Let me tell you. Real simple. Say to God, repair the altar. This place of value that you should have in my life. It's broken. It's been eroded. Hey, it happens to all of us. I have had so many chapters there. I've devalued God, honestly. I've devalued you. And I'm asking you, God, and, and this altar to you has been torn down. I, I want to mend it. I want to repair it. Then Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord, the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. He began to say, don't forget what God has done for you. All the history that precedes this moment of your silence and your moment of this overvalued passion for a non-existent God, there has been a God that's been part of your history. Don't forget about it. And he began to lay heavy stones to remind them of what was going on. And with the stones, as they sat and watched, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. And he arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces and he laid it on the wood all patiently. And then he said to them, fill four large jar jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, I don't know much about starting fires. I'm not a camper. I, I like malls and Starbucks, so I'm not, I don't get out there. But w one thing I do know if is you're going to start a fire, you're probably going to put gasoline or kerosene or something, but not water. Am I right? Verse 34, do it again. 
put more water on the fire? Yeah, do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time. And he, he ordered, and they did it the third time. Watch. God puts every word in for a reason. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. The thing was soaking wet. Here's the deal. Elijah's about to teach them that even when your firewood is wet, he's worthy. Even when everything looks like it shouldn't be, he's worthy. Even when your trench is saturated with water, he has never lost one ounce of value. You see, that's why an Abraham can climb a mountain at the first mention of worship that's ever mentioned in the Scriptures. The word worship is mentioned when Abraham goes to the top of the mountain. He's charged by God to take a dagger in his hand and plunge it through the heart of his only child. The water that was drowning the firewood that day. The firewood was wet, and nevertheless, he was ready until God stopped his hand. He said, now I know, son, that you love me. It's exactly why Job, when he lost his wife, his kids, his home, his profession, everything he owned, he became diseased, that he fell face down. His life was full of water. His firewood was wet. And he said, nevertheless, blessed be the name of the worthy God. Elijah is teaching them, look, even when you don't get it, when you've undervalued him, when you've missed it, when you're unaware that something invisibly supernatural is happening, when, all, when you're in, not in the mood, still worship him and still build an altar to our God. Why? 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 Because he's worthy. It should be our only motivation, by the way. We could stop just right here. And so... Elijah prays, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. And the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I vote for God. I vote for God. Would you? Thanks to John Carrico, I saw a picture on the uh, Facebook this week. I bring it to you as an expression of this particular chapter or verse, they were like this. Ooh, ooh, fire. Ooh, the Lord is God. What do you think? You get it? <laughs> Can you leave that up for a minute? It's just too entertaining to take out. Listen, this is not worship. When God has to go to the point of proving his worthiness. Like, oh, I get it now. Oh, I'm praising him. Ooh. It's when the firewood is wet, our truest worship comes. That's when it really, really comes. Not when it's this moment. This is easy. When my, if I drove home and, and the kids and the wife surprised me and say, I've cleaned your entire office, I'm, I'd actually go, ah. 
garage, you know, because I know where everything is. But anyway, I cleaned the garage out so you don't have to do it. I've weeded the back so you don't have to do it. Since you haven't, I'll do all the... And I'm like, oh, I love you so much. If I get home and she's slightly cranky, not that she ever has been, or let's reverse it so I can go home today. Let's say she gets home and I'm slightly cranky. And she loves me anyway. True love, man. Because she values me, not because of what I'm doing or not doing, because I'm her love. When we come into worship, the worthy God is waiting. We are in His presence in heaven In Revelation 5, the apostle John, verse 11, looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand upon ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Now, see, they've got a better place than we do. They got front row seats. There is no wet firewood in heaven. It's all there. We will see clearly. We only see dimly now. But God draws us into the invisible even when our firewood is drenched to realize that this moment is happening right now. That he is surrounded by millions saying, worthy, worthy, because they see it Oh, church, that we would see it and recognize and worship because God is worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for being the God that is above every single valued thing in this universe. Now you know us, God. And our understanding of that could fill about a half a thimble. Therefore, Lord, you teach us. You're patient. You draw us. You remind us. You mend us. You mend our broken down altars where we've devalued you. You patiently build altars before us and graciously show us over and over that you're worthy. But today, God, maybe we don't see that. Maybe there are some that don't. I would pray, God, that you would allow our minds and draw our minds to a higher place. And even when our firewood is soaking wet, God, even when we're having a down day or our best day, when we're unaware or we're completely aware, when you're valued and undervalued, Nevertheless, we worship you. 
Oh, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Heaven repeats this theme over and over. And they know something and see something and hear something that we don't know completely yet. Help us, God, to engage in the invisible. Help us, God, to engage our hearts to yours in the most simplest of acts of worship so that you can look at us, your church, and realize that you know that we value you. With that in mind, God, we will stand to our feet and worship you and give you the praise that you are so worthy 